Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 23rd, 2015. That's right, it's a Sunday. And this is episode 136. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of one Mr. Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find a cavalcade of stars of other great shows, and we recommend that you check that out. You can find this show on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, as Miro, Double Twist, and that thing we call iTunes. If you're doing that right now, please make sure you stop, take a second to rate and review the show. It really helps us out. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast, and on Twitter where we are the most active, where you can find us at BirdseyeViewBAL. With that, Scott Magnus, it's the most important question of the week. I ask you, what is your drink of the week? Jake, my drink of the week is tears. Yes, Jake, tears. A little salty, um, not something that comes in a high quantity most of the time. But today, I've got a large glass of tears that I am soaking up through my mouth today. I'm also drinking tears, uh, but I'm also finishing off the uh, six-pack of Southern Tier uh, 2X IPA, which I enjoyed last week. Oh, very good. I also want to point out, too, that we mispronounced one of the beers that we had last week from Oscar Blues. It's not Piner. It's Pinner, which one of our uh, lovely uh, audience uh, listeners out there pointed out to us and said, hey, if you guys are going to drink good beer, you might as well pronounce it correctly. So, uh, again, we appreciate people um, pointing out our fallacies on a weekly basis. Co continue to do so uh, for this show. And we make it so easy. Yes, it is. With that, we've got a very busy medical wing. Let's get into it. I forgot about that one. That's pretty good. I'm glad we could uh, at least bring some laughter to you, Jake. So going through the medical wing, J.J. Hardy is going to the DL with his injured groin. Um, that's after being, you know, not put in the lineup for the Sunday game and then inserted into the lineup and then taken right back out. And, well, we all know what happened on Sunday. But J.J. Hardy going to the DL for at least 15 days. Does he have a pull groin or does he have the socks? He has a pull groin. Okay. All right. Is one related to the other? Uh, yes. Okay. What else we got? Uh, Steve Pierce will be making his return and be making the trip to Kansas City. 
I, I hope that uh, 2015 Steve Pierce is is uh, dead and gone. I hope that 2014 Steve Pierce is the one that comes back off of the deal. I'm going to be interesting to see where they play Steve Pierce. Um, Henry Rudy actually, I think, has done a pretty decent job in the outfield recently. And Steve Clevenger actually has done a pretty decent job at DH as well. It'll be interesting to see how they get Steve Pierce into the lineup. How about shortstop? Moving on. Um there is a bunch of other pitchers that are currently working through uh, rehab starts. Chaz Rowe, Mike Wright. Um, you know, all these pitchers are going to come back up in September, um, whether it's the first week of September or two weeks in September, yada, yada, yada. But the Norfolk roster is sure to make an appearance come September. Um, so you're telling me that Norfolk will stand up? Norfolk will stand up, which they actually did a pretty good job of standing up this week with Steve Clevenger and Henry Erudia. So, uh, Tip the cap to them. Jake, I'd like to go through everything that happened this past week in 140 characters or less. Let's go to this week on the Twitters. First of all, we're going to go to a tweet that, um, well, it, it made me think to myself, stop it, Orioles. You're crapping on my heart. This comes from Orioles Uncensored, a fine podcast about the Baltimore Orioles that you can find on Twitter, at O's Uncensored, great friends of the program. The tweet is as follows. I'm not at the, quote, I'm not even mad I'm just disappointed stage. Yeah. 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 Next one is, well, this is going to be fun. This comes from Mark Viviano, who posts at Mark WJZ, and it's Orioles have fallen behind Minnesota and Texas in the wild card after one in 10 record combined versus them. O's 18 to 38 versus opponents currently above 500. O's uh, 16 of next 19 versus above 500 teams. Well, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, you know that whole thing of that last week of saying, "Hey, we're gonna eventually have to get better against 500 teams because looking at the winning percentage, uh, didn't really do so so much this this week." Happy days are here mm-hmm. again. All right, uh, next one. Life is all about choices. This comes from John Heyman, who tweets at John Heyman CBS. Logan Verrett appears to have won a major league role with one outing, but what an outing! One run and eight innings pitched at Coors. Hashtag Mets. Well, good thing we didn't pick that. Game. Yeah, good thing that we never had a chance to hold on to him. Um, interesting stat that I thought. Uh, this comes from Mike Petrillo. You can follow him at Mike underscore Petrillo. Of course, uh, noted saver matrician. Um, big, uh, you know, constantly writes on fan graphs. The three teams with the worst batting averages in the major leagues, Mets, Astros, and Cubs, all headed to playoffs right now. Almost like it's not relevant to winning. I found that interesting. Hmm. Further emphasizing the aspect of batting average and wins. But how many pitchers wins do they have? Yeah, exactly. All right. And uh, the last one I want to go through was this comes from at Mr. Underscore Ice Underscore Cold. And it's reposting back to Utah's report. And they post, so no hitter, had three walk-off wins, swept a team in four games, got swept in four games, lost 15 to three, and one eighteen to two, yeah, it makes sense. This team is, if nothing else, confusing. But Scott, I think we can fix this. I think we can fix this. You and I, right now, are going to go on something of a spirit quest. Mm. All right, we're gonna we're gonna sit down. We're gonna make this all make sense in our heads, and we have perhaps some guidance to come to us.
Well, Scott, I want to talk to you a minute about spirit animals. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right, spirit animals. Uh, I tweeted that's great because I got a friend in Jesus. <laughs> uh, can we just talk aside real quick? That song is very strange, and here's why. It's a very odd, odd song. If you, if you close your eyes and listen to that song, and you listen to the opening of that song, you basically envision like a biker gang rolling down the road, stopping at a, you know, at a bar, yep. swinging through the, the cowboy-style do- yep. doors, and then they start singing about Jesus. Yep. And nothing epitomizes motorcycle guy, gangs like Bird's Eye View. <laughs> I'm just saying the music and the lyrics don't match up. Anyway, that was an aside. Spirit animals. Last week, I tweeted out that uh, my spirit animal was Darren O'Day's rising fastball. And that got us to thinking. Maybe what the Orioles need is they need to hold on to the notion of their spirit animals. Like a totem, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about it. a spirit animal basically is, is you know, in, in some uh, pagan, pagan uh, religions, basically an animal that epitomizes either what you are or what you want to be, the traits that you have, right? So sure. if we were to, to call out some Orioles for their spirit animals, what would that look like? Good question. I know the Orioles are really big on animals, too. Uh, the whole Barks calendars came out. I know the Orioles were at the Barks shelter uh, supporting a great cause there and signing their calendars. Um, highly recommend going and picking up those calendars. Again, uh, great community cause. But going through the spirit animals, you know, the one that pops out of me, which is an obvious one, has to be Nolan Reimold. And the spirit animal being the gazelle. And gazelle was a big thing that happened and came up when Reimold was there. And I guess 2009, 2010 on Camden Chat at the time. And as a person that was an avid follower of Candon Chat back then, uh, every single time Nolan Ryan... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this was? Well, it is, but was. I mean, I'm, I, I, when there was nothing else out there except for Candon Chat to a certain regard, mm-hmm. I used to be on there every single day. Now, I wish I could be on there every single day with along in those daily threads, but unfortunately... You're stuck with me. Work be work. Um, so Nolan Reimold's spirit animal is the gazelle, but that, again, goes into the aspect of what other spirit animals could we pick out? So, Dave, Jake, I have a question for you. David Lowe. Well, you know that David Lowe is one of my favorite players. Yes, that's why I'm asking you, David Lowe. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think real hard about this and, and thinking about you know, who he is, what he brought to this team, uh, what his skills and his values are. I'm going to go with the Dodo. Okay. That's uh, useless. Yeah. No evolutionary uh, benefit. Extinct. No longer around. Often used to deride people with their... Um, their skills. Yeah, I think that's good for David Lowe. Okay. I'm going to go to the next one, which would be Dan Duquette. In my opinion, he's the obvious raccoon-like creature. Maybe even a fox would be a decent one, too. Mm. Kind of like pillaging around, searching for scraps. But I think raccoon is really good in terms of getting scraps up and being like, oh, I can actually use this, and then taking it back to the rest of his family. So basically, it's the type of animal that you might find rummaging around in your garbage can at night. Correct. Exactly. Now, you and I ran into Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. Yes. Fantastic site, and you should go check it out. Derek Arnold's birthday was today. Yep. Uh, so somebody had to buy him beers, and, yep. and we weren't going to let that not happen. Um, Glad he had a good birthday today. But he said that he saw Dan Duquette um, yeah. at the stadium dressed basically in a track suit. Yeah. As if he just rolled out of bed at the stadium. And it kind of made me thinking, uh, it kind of made me think, is he living there? Like, is is he the raccoon of Camden Yards? Hmm. He does like crab waffle fries. He does. Who does not <laughs> yeah. love crab waffle fries? All right, what else we got? Um, You know, in talking about this before the show, I tried to come up with one for Steve Clevenger, and I tried to get really clever with it, and you you set me straight. Yeah, he's a pig. It's as simple as that. He's a pig. Nothing pretty about what he does. You know, a little hairy, got some mud on him every single day, but he goes out there and leads the charge out there 
It's he's just a pig. He, he runs through the streets. He's the pride of pig yeah. town. He runs amok. <laughs> All right, an obvious one, uh, if not a little Quixotean, is Bobby Dickin Bobby Dickerson. Yeah, Bobby Dickerson's spirit animal is windmill. Is that acceptable? Or we're going to allow that? Okay, we're going to allow. There that. really is no better thing. Maybe a flamingo in terms of just kind of moving the, the head around a lot, but or or, or like the uh, the lawn flamingos with the arms that yes. just spin. Exactly. I like, I like where your head's yeah. at. Um, here's another one I want to throw at you, and this is an O to you, Brian Mattis. And I was thinking about what could Brian Mattis be, and I know you don't want to talk about Brian Mattis, but I, if I had to give Brian Mattis one, it'd be penguin. And if I had to do Penguin, it's because he's on that ice flow, Jake, that you put him on and you cast him off on. So Brian Menace is trying to succeed as best as he can as the Penguin that he is. So he's an elderly Penguin that's being pushed out to sea on the ice flow. That is correct. I like it. All right. Uh, moving on. Let's let's just go go here. Uh, Peter Angelus. Yes. Peter Angelus is the Crypt Keeper. Okay. He's malicious. He won't die. He's old. He's the Crypt Keeper. Gotcha. Uh, can I give another one? It's going to have to be to Buck Showalter. In my opinion... He's the epitome of the owl. He's that knowing, all-seeing thing and kind of doesn't say much, except when he does have to say something. And he just kind of gives me that owl-like features to me. All right, I'm going to double back on this. Because when I saw saw this in the show notes, I I was trying to think. I also think he's kind of like the owl from the Tootsie Roll commercials. Kind of a smart ass. Yeah. Gets to the point, gets things done. Yeah, it's Buck Showalter. So he goes like, Brittany Drolly, what do you think about this? One, two, three. Gotcha. Okay. There might be people on the show that, that listen to the show that don't get that reference, by the way. That's true. Yeah. That's depressing. Everyone just Google. Let me Google that for you. Yeah. Tootsie Roll Pop commercial. Yeah. Plus Owl. All right. Next, I'm going to go to Jason Garcia. Okay. Jason Garcia, for me, is the fawn. Mm. Now, let me explain this. Follow me here. Okay. He's, he's got these brand new legs that are all spindly and awkward and doesn't really know what's going on. He falls over a lot. He's young and he's green and he's fresh. But hear me out, Scott. Mm. That fawn has every chance of being a fully grown, beautiful deer that may run in the meadow of the Orioles bullpen someday. (laughs) Very well done. Uh, Next one I'm going to go to is Chris Davis. I give him the classification as the bull because when the bull hits, it hurts. But... It is very easy to distract the bull, too. So you just need a little red cape, and eventually, you know, he'll just strike out in the process as well. I thought perhaps that he was the bull in the china shop of the (laughs) Orioles' offense. Let him loose, and it's trouble one way or another. Jake, let me ask you one. This is one that's been bothering me. I haven't been able to figure it out. Ryan Flaherty. I got this one. I'm all over this one. We mind-sourced it today at the the Orioles game. Um, I'm going to go with Ryan Flaherty as the platypus. Ooh, Nick. Follow me on this one. The platypus has a lot of really useful parts, right? It's got a bill like a duck. It's got a tail like a beaver. It's got flipper things like whatever has flipper things. The platypus has all these really useful pieces. But when you put it together, it's really not that impressive an animal. (laughs) No, it's very actually completely unimpressive. So I'm going to say that Ryan Flaherty is all of those things. He has all these great tools. But when put together, eh, (laughs) not really. Uh, next one, going to go to Zach Burton. I'm going to give him the category of the gopher because he's always putting you know gopher balls onto the ground. Zach Burton, he's the gopher. Go no, ahead. I like it. I like it. Uh, what may have started all this, mm. Dare No Day. I'm going to go with the Finch. Oh, the Jenny Finch. The Jenny Finch. Yeah. He, he does throw that rising fastball just like that. Adam Jones has to be the hyena in terms of laughing and always having a good time out in the field. Just always just enjoying life it seems like i mean you just watch that this commercial that baseball keeps running over and over and over again yep 
Yeah. You mean the one with like David Price on the Tigers? No, the one of him just laughing oh, the okay. whole way through. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, next one I want to go through is Matt Wieters. I'm going to give him the Galapagos turtle because the turtle is so slow, but it's slowly walking itself towards extinction. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, on that note, Bird's Eye View listeners, this is important, all right? The, the Orioles need us right now. They need us to help us define their spirit animal. So take a look at this list. If we've screwed this up, and we do this all the time, if we screwed this up, let us know, all right? I'm going to need you to tweet at us with hashtag O's spirit animal, and let us know any players or staff or what have you that we have not covered, or any players that we have perhaps misidentified. The better that we do with this list, dear listener, the better the Orioles are sure to do. And well, they need it. So can we talk about Sunday now? Not really sure I want to talk about Sunday. Uh, it was kind of a terrible game. Oh, no, 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 Jake. It wasn't just a terrible game. We've seen terrible games. This was something else. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just doesn't seem fair. The season, I, it's hard to put my fingers oh, on no. it. It's just, what? It's gone and done it. It's done what? It's lost, that love and feeling. It's lost. No, no, it has not. Yes, yes, it has. No, no, it has not lost that love and feeling. Jake, it's been lost. <sighs> I hate it when it does that. You never close your eyes anymore. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. Oh my. Jake, take it. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. All right. I think we've had uh, enough fun for that. Jake, we've got to go through and discuss really how bad this uh, this series was. And, you know, the week started off pretty promising with that Sunday Gray win, sweeping out the A's, and you thought to yourself, maybe the O's are finally turning the, t- t- turning the curve. And even going 500 against the Mets, I think they had actually a pretty, pretty good series there as well. So I had high hopes coming into the twin series. Can I make a confession? Sure. I did not. Ooh, okay. I did not. And I, I think you have every right in the world to feel good about going 500 against the Mets with that pitching. Yeah. Like, I, I, I I'll give it right to you. However, I did not particularly – I was not impressed with a sweep over the a- athletics. I know that it's hard to sweep a team in four games. I get I Apparently get it's that. not. <laughs> right. <laughs> I get all that. But the A's are not a good team. And A's not, are a very bad team. Not only are the A's a bad team, but the Orioles had to come back in rather dynamic fashion and win those games after putting themselves behind the eight balls against a very terrible team. Very good point. And not to mention the A's are the worst team in Major League Baseball in terms of their bullpen and also blowing leads. So to lose games late on, 
Yeah, it's kind of nice to see the Orioles be able to rally, but at the same point, look at who you're doing it against. Yeah, and I don't want to seem like doom and gloom, and now it seems like you know hindsight is twenty twenty and all that kind of other stuff, but for everybody who was really excited about the Athletics series, oh. I, I would just be more careful than that, because I don't think it was really a harbinger of things to come. It's just frustrating because, like I said, I think to a certain regard we're a little bitter and disenfranchised based off of what has happened with this four-game sweep of the Orioles after the Twins series. But it certainly feels like the Orioles are not clicking on all cylinders in terms of the offense, not putting up you know the production at the right time. The long ball certainly seemed to disappear during the Twins series. It kind of seemed like it just seemed like the whole series started off weird, especially with that Thursday game getting the rain delay for so long and not getting started until what was like 930 at night. It was just an odd series. Um, It it was even odder too. You just look back at some of the games you had blown games by Darren O'Day blown game by uh, Brad Brock. And then on Sunday you had a blown game by Zach Burton. We're not used to the bullpen imploding like that and giving up games. Um, it, It was just, it was just bad, and it's as simple as that. It's just not typical Orioles baseball. Yeah, and, and the thing is is that the bullpen, I think, covers so many flaws with the starting pitching and covers so many flaws with the hitting at times, and neither of those other two facets of the game came to the rescue during the Twin yeah. Series. And, and the other thing that, that is crazy about this Twin Series is I really feel like the Twin Series kind of encapsulates what's been wrong with the Orioles all season, which is when the Orioles' back is against the wall, when it is a do-or-die series, they've died consistently yeah and the only thing that's kept them close in the race is the fact that everybody else is pretty mediocre as well but the orioles as they go on keep proving at least to me that there's no way that they're going to sneak themselves into a playoff spot and you know if they were lucky enough to do so it's hard to put faith in them and to be able to continue into a playoff series win Mm -hmm. with what we've seen and that's not negative nancy talk that's just you know we just watched this series you know, we just watched them get swept uh, by the Yankees when it counted the most. We watched them get hammered by the Blue Jays, who are a great club and are going to coast in the playoffs. Like, this is the team that they are. All right. I, I think, you know, the obvious thing that people saw after this four-game sweep was they came back and they wanted to quickly point back to 2013 with that Arizona series. And I think it's, you know, fresh in anybody's mind that actually has been an Orioles fan and during that series, uh, it was August 12th through August 14th, uh, the Orioles lost three straight, three losses on walk-offs. Um, and, and it was kind of a heartbreaking fashion just to see the games be so close. Um, but at the end of that series, Jake, the Orioles' record at that time was 65-55. and 55. They were still 10 games above 500. So that was a much— Which I would give my left arm for now. Right. It was a much better team in terms of record um, than— what the Orioles have been pretty much all season to a certain regard. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You had something. No, to say. no, I was, I was going to say it's, it's really crazy that you bring up the, um, and you bring up the diamondback series because that series was back to back with a West coast trip where they also played the giants. Mm. And it's funny the way your memory plays tricks on you, because I remember actually the giant series being terrible as well, but you corrected me and said, Hey, the, the Orioles won two out of three. What are you talking about? That last game in San Francisco, Jim Johnson blew a game. Yeah. And he also blew a game in that series that the Orioles ended up coming back and winning. So that was really like the falling off point. And then the, the Diamondback series just happened. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's talking about 2013. 
you know, again, as Orioles fans, we have this experience of awful that yeah. we experienced for 14 years. We have the experience of being pleasantly surprised in 2012. We have the experience of watching a really good team that we knew was a really good team in 2014. We don't really have much of a barometer for somewhere in between. Right. And that 2013 uh, team, you know, it was obvious that it, it was not, they were not maybe as good as they were in 2012. But the thing was is that they were playing those quote-unquote meaningful games in September. Right. And the real linchpin, the, the thing that did them in in the late part of the se- season, and you and I talked about this off-air, was that Tampa Bay series. Yeah, exactly. So um, we were talking about this earlier tonight, and we were looking at um, September 18th. The Orioles were going into Tampa. They had an 81-71 record. But going into Tampa, Tampa Bay was playing for a wild card position at the time. So you were going in there and saying, okay, we're basically battling Tampa for a wild card position. And you're going into a four-game series with Tampa Bay. And for those that don't remember, they started off that series with a walk-off loss in 18 innings. And it was that loss that literally took the air out of the sails. The Orioles ended up going and losing uh, the next six games. Um, I'm sorry, the next five games, they actually lost one before for Boston. But that six um, loss streak at the end of the season basically was the death knell. They went from being an 81 and 70 team all the way to an 81 and 76 team with that six losses. And to be fair, as Oriole fans at the time, when we saw 18 inning games, we assumed we were going to win. That's right? exactly because that, that happened the previous year in in Seattle. And of course, like of course we're going to win. Why wouldn't we right. win this 18 inning game? Right. This is the game we're going to win. We're going to go on a streak and go maybe three out of four in Tampa Bay. Be right there in the wild card spot, yep. going up into the last week in September. And if it didn't work out, fine. But we weren't expecting to not be able to go to that very last series. So here's the difference now in 2015 between this team and 20. 20- 13 all right in 2012 we were just happy to be there yeah right we were just happy to be included yeah with 2013 in many ways it was a better club on paper but they came up short but a lot of people said you know what it's two winning seasons it's something to build on this was still a successful season yeah then 2014 happened and you know you had nelson cruz all this stuff we had probably the best team that we were going to have during this window yeah and and you know they went out and they got andrew miller i think rightly because they said hey this is our opportunity to push to the World Series. They came up short. Here we are in 2015, and we're not winning. Yeah. Not, not only, I mean, this team may be a 500 team. It may be an above 500 team. And yes, that's much better than, than losing. But the thing is, is that, is this club going to be built to win in the future, or does it need an overhaul? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is, and it's why it's frustrating, is you look at, and I hate to harp about the offseason already, but you look at the situation where you're going to lose Davis, Chen, and Weeders. And we were talking about today at the game of saying, you know, you've got a lot of open positions out there. How are you going to fill them? And that's a big question mark going into the offseason. But I'm not ready to have that conversation just quite yet. All right, let me let me hold off on that because uh, I think that that is a conversation worth having. But I also am emotionally not ready to have that conversation. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um and it may be a pointed question. What would have saved the the 2015 season? What could have been done differently from a, uh, whether it be an acquisition standpoint or just a performance standpoint that would have saved the season? I'm not sure if it would have saved the season, um, but one move that I think would have been interesting would have been Kevin Gossman having the full season up here. 
I think, you know, not having Bud Norris in the rotation and seeing if Kevin Gossman could have come into being a number one or number two starter would have been very interesting this season. And I'm not sure if it would have been enough. There's certain there's certain luck that has to play with any season, and you can't go back and look at 2014 and don't say that there was no luck. Steve Pierce is a perfect example. And the Orioles have had their kind of luck with, you know, a Jimmy Paredes and Chris Davis against once again busting out again. But it just doesn't seem like, you know, you've lost a lot of one-run games. Um, not really great extra innings. It just hasn't seemed like... There's been no magic. There has been no magic besides the walk-offs that were this past week, and those quickly have dissipated from our memories. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, when you look at this season, I just uh, you have the Facebook app on your phone. I do. All right. Time my, hop. Yeah my, yeah, my time hop the other day uh, brought up a picture that I had taken from the center field bleachers, mm. and, and literally the caption was, they hurt me so, but I love my Orioles. And it was at a game... And it, it was dated 2011. Mm. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, how did we manufacture so much enthusiasm for so many bad teams? Like, how do we manage to be such passionate fans when there was literally no hope? So I think from the rest of 2015, I mean, Scott, if I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, sure. so, so call me off if I'm wrong here. I think it's pretty clear that the team is not going anywhere. I Look, I, I will come back and I... Got a little emotional after the game, <laughs> and I'm still a little emotional. This is an individual that said last week's podcast, if you remember correctly, 50% chance the Orioles make the playoffs. I, I recall. I recall. But and, and I still think they have a chance to get to the playoffs. But again, doesn't that speak to the mediocrity, though, of the wild card race and not the excellence of the Orioles? Yes, it does. I think that that challenges us all to think, what kind of fans are we going to be? Yeah. What what are we going to do moving forward for 2015? I mean, obviously, you know, you and I are still going to go to games. We're still going to watch every game. We're going to, you know, root the Orioles on to win every game. But how is it going to be different? How is the experience going to be different? Obvi- obviously, you know, Buck, to a certain point, is going to try to win every game. Mm-hmm. But do the Orioles as an organization move into that mode where you try to give some young guys a look, yeah. try to, you know, use some rosters that you might not use in September if you were, you know, five games up in the win column. Yeah. Is Do you think that'll happen this season? Um, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. The one thing that I know as a fan, and I'm going to be interested to see what the rest of Baltimore does, but in 2012, I had a very difficult time pulling myself away from games in the TV. Similarly, in 2013, kind of wanting to re-experience that magic, even through September, constantly watching games. 2014, of course, watching a ton of games as well. But I'm almost at the point right now watching this team that I don't have that flash of saying, I want to see them every single night. And it's similar to it's similar to the Dark Ages where you know I'm going to cheer the team on, but it's not necessarily doesn't mean that I have to be in front of the TV every <laughs> single night watching the game, which is... It's difficult. It's yeah. very difficult. I think that the thing for me during the Dark Ages was just so irritating was that you could script out the game. Yeah. You know, something would happen in the third inning. They would give up a bunch of runs, and you could you could just say, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. They're going to swing for the fences every time. They're going to get themselves out 10, you know, 10 at-bats in a row, mm-hmm. and then the game's going to be over. That's starting to take place more often than not this season. And, uh, you know, you and I put together that that bingo card yes. where it was like embarrassing ways to lose as a lark. But really, like you can fill out your card on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, yeah and you're right. It, it is similar to that where you're shooting yourself in the foot. 
you know, as much as we like to harp and I had a big issue with this this series, um, that was a absolute terrible thing this past weekend yeah. with the Minnesota series. But, you know, it just wasn't that. There was just some poor fundamentals in the field. Sunday's game with the errors is one instance, but even the other games where, you know, drop fly balls in the outfield and overthrowing the cutoff man, it just just little things that you just think, oh, that's not going to be that big of a deal, but it was a big deal this weekend. And it's not that typical Orioles baseball that we've become accustomed to seeing, especially last year where everything was so spot on is the best way I can put it. Well, let, let me just put it this way. We are clearly not trying to polish a turd here. No. There, There is no Jim Hunter on this podcast. But I, I may, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Scott, I may be less uh, sure that the Orioles are going to compete at the, the rest of the season. But we are still going to, we still have 40 games left or so yep. to enjoy Orioles baseball. It's simply a matter of set your expectations. What are you hoping to get out of these next 40 games? And even if it's just, you know what? Baseball is three hours of escapism every night, and it's something I care about. That's valuable. Yeah. I think it is. So here we go. Orioles baseball. Is there any magic left in the tank? With that, let's dive into Fantasy Balls to figure out who won this week. And I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, oh, when the moon is shining bright, oh, you're the boss. Yes, Jake, you won again this week. Fantasy Boss is just another reminder that things could have gone better for the O's this week. Um, you know, Zach Britton has blown save today, but in all honesty, his XFIP was actually pretty impressive today. Um, but um, over the week, Zach Britton kind of got shellacked in terms of giving up fly balls and also walks. Command didn't quite seem like he was there this week, which allowed Michael Gibbons to outperform Zach Britton this week in terms of XFIP. Now, it's also possible that Zach Britton not being necessary for a bunch of games in a row may have left him a little rusty. Yeah, Maybe, but Michael Gibbons also had a pretty impressive two innings today of some pretty dominant work. So tip of the cap to Michael Gibbons. Michael mm-hmm. Gibbons is um, living up to that untouchable name that was out there <laughs> at the trade deadline. So, Jake, you also like to see that from, you know, the converted shortstop. Yeah. Like, good for him for sticking with his career, for making himself, you know, a, a major league ready player. Yeah. I, I like what I'm seeing from him, but I'm going to wait a little bit longer before I stamp him saying, yep, I want him back for 2016 because I'm still waiting for that scouting report to be developed a little bit more. But right. we'll see what happens. I said the same thing with Brad Brock, and Brad Brock has turned into a pretty darn good reliever for the Orioles. So contest now is at 10 to 7 to 1. Um, like the Orioles season, my hopes of winning fantasy balls are slowly disappearing. Man, depressing bird's eye view is yes. depressing. All right, can I pick a, a category for this week? Sure. I'm going to go with something uh, you love. Okay. And something that has haunted us recently. Okay. I'm going to go with Babbitt. Oh, gosh. Scott, who from the offensive side of the ball do you think will have the best Babbitt this week? 
Oh, gosh. Man, I have no idea because it's just a total guess at this point. Oh, are you, are you saying an inexact science is something unusual for my fantasy boss selections? <laughs> no, it's not completely. Um, you, you know, I, I'm going to go with Adam Jones because I just feel like Adam Jones has just been off lately in terms of offense production. I feel like he has to break out. So I'm going to go Adam Jones. I'm not just a total guess. His his Babbitt for this season so far is 287. It's that seems a little on the low side, but who knows? Hey, regression back to the, the mean, right? I'm going to go with Para. I'm going to go with Gerardo Para. I think that he is the player that can dink and doink as well as the hit. So I'm I'm going to go with Para. He's been pretty hot lately too, so that's good. Um, all right. So Adam Jones for Babbitt, Gerardo Para for Babbitt. Who will own it? Um, the Orioles certainly didn't own it this past week. Let's get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time for the good the bad and the uh very ugly um all right you want me to start this week jake absolutely take it away all right i'm gonna go with my good for the week and it really was well there wasn't much but i'm actually gonna go with wei and chen who i think has been doing pretty well over the past few starts um this week he pitched uh six innings pitched against minnesota um had a pretty decent amount of ground ball percentage and i just think that he allowed the orioles to stay in the game even going back to the oakland series uh six innings pitched only giving up two earned runs we and chen it's just been really consistent uh for you know several games now and i just wanted to give the tip of the cap to him because there are a few orioles that deserve it this week yeah and it's, kevin gossman actually was pretty good today as well I yeah mean, yeah so tip of the cap to him but he had a bad game earlier this week it's also nice to give uh, Wei and Chen a, a nice long look as a, as a good Orioles starter. Yeah. Because it may not always be yeah, the case. Yeah, probably going to be going away pretty soon. All right. For my good, I want to start with Steve Clevenger. Steve Clevenger had a much better week than I thought. And, you know, I kept uh, joking to myself, oh, Steve Clevenger is our DH again. Yep. Fantastic. That's exactly what we want. But then I looked at the numbers. I was like, oh, well. Okay. He had an OBP of 400. He batted uh, 348 this week, and I know that those are, are ridiculous stats, but he drove in four runs. He had a home run, a big home run. Yeah. Steve Clevenger's been holding up his end of the bargain, and, you know, he's not, in my mind, a major league catcher, but maybe he's a guy that belongs in the 25 man roster and occasionally catches. Well, again, lefty hitter, too, so he could actually be maybe a platoon option. Uh, especially if uh, in a post Matt Weeders world, in a post Matt Weeders world, but also in a uh, post Jimmy Paredes world too. If uh, Jimmy Paredes doesn't get any production in the f- near future, all right, bad. Uh, I'm going to go with JJ Hardy, who has been pretty abysmal at the plate, been playing hurt, um, and now is going to the DL. All of those are bad things because it's going to have to be the Oros reshuffling the roster and probably bringing Valiant Flaherty in to play shortstop. And Ryan Flaherty certainly hasn't been very good at the plate either. So just a bad situation for J.J. Hardy. Well, you know, since he's 0 for a million, what was it, 0 for 34? Yeah. 
he he then had like a walk and two hits and you know he bounced one off the scoreboard so maybe you know as jj hardy's uh groin wanes ryan flaherty's bat waxes i just heard yeah you just heard hardy's groin and, groin, the and then i heard flaherty's yeah, there's so many places I can go with it. I'm going to go with my bad for this yeah. week. And my bad is, this is a dangerous topic. Yeah. My bad is Manny Machado's first play as a major league shortstop. Yeah. For all of the folks out there who have been clamoring for Manny Machado to play shortstop, I think, and I think, and I'm not, again, don't let me put words in your mouth. I think you and I might be on, on the opposite sides of the table on this one. I am of the opinion that Manny Machado is an all-world third baseman and should remain, for the rest of time, an all-world third baseman. See, I disagree to a certain regard. I think Manny Machado should move to shortstop because it's a lot easier to get a third baseman than it is a shortstop. That's really good. And there certainly isn't any shortstops within the Orioles organization that are going to be coming up in you know, the next eight years basically so you're telling me it's it's easier to find a serviceable third baseman than it is to find a serviceable shortstop sure okay i mean take for example you know if you can go out and find a a good offensive third baseman you can go and put like a miguel cabrera at third base and still get really good offensive production with relatively little um defensive loss now it's nice to have really good third base defense like a josh donaldson or an adrian beltre there an evan longoria but it's not absolutely necessary um I, I just think it's much more valuable to have a premier shortstop than it is to have someone at third base third base also has a much higher offensive production league average wise where shortstop as we've seen this year is a dumpster fire so all right might as well, well do that you know you're you're not wrong i just have i'm trying to optimize value on a mid-market team which is the baltimore royals i hear you we're, we're we diverge there it's fine but my bad this week was Manny Machado's first play as a major league shortstop. Not as easy as it looks, folks. Can I play devil's advocate too? Technically, it. it really wasn't his first play as a major league shortstop because of the shift. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's that's something only devil. It's like it's officially in the stat book as so. I hear you. But from a shift standpoint, he's played shortstop multiple plays at this time. You got me. Yeah. All right. I have a flair for the dramatic. Will you let me have my flair for the dramatic? I, I know. Um, so my ugly for the week is going to go to Babbitt, which was, it just seemed like every single thing broke the Orioles wrong way this week. Got burned by the Luck Dragon. He got burned by the Luck Dragon. I have such a disdain for the Luck Dragon with the AL Central. I don't know what the AL Central is doing, but it is sucking the cock. Up of your the, butt, Joe Boo. Yeah, it is sucking the cock of the Babbitt Dragon pretty hard right there. So Royals, Twins... Do whatever you're doing to that bag of dragon, but you know, at least share the secrets. Go ahead. My ugly for this week. My ugly for this week is gonna be Joe Angel's vacation. Wave it. Bye bye. Look, I've been listening to a lot more games on the radio this season than I have in a few years. And I really think that Joe Angel is is a national treasure. He really is. He's really good. And look, the guy's entitled to take vacation or to have his kids get married or to go on, on trips or whatever it is that he's doing. But does he know what he's leaving us with? Look, I love Ben McDonald. Yeah. I love Ben McDonald in the booth. But I'm, I'm not sure that I love Ben McDonald enough to leave me with Fred Manfra mm. with play-by-play for nine full innings. And I'm also not sure that there's any part of me that wants to listen to Fred Manfred and Jim Hunter in the booth for any period of time. Joe Angel, come back. We miss you. We're going to put you on the milk carton. 
Joe, please come back. Although I do think Jim Hunter does a much better job on radio than he does on Massive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is weird. But still, Joe Angel, come back. We miss you. With that, I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. All right, Scott, I've got something very important to talk about. This is very important baseball discussion. Okay. Do you know that the Orioles are 0 for August with Matt Wieters as a catcher? I have seen that statistic. Can I tell you something about that statistic? Yes. That is crap. It is a pretty silly statistic. That is absolute crap. And I love the fact that people have been talking about it as if it matters. As if it matters. Like, Even your wife brought it up tonight, today. Take for, well, I, I may have ranted in the car. Anyway, take for example. You? No, no, yeah. never. Continue. The game where uh, the Orioles got shellacked. Yes. Right? Uh, Miguel Gonzalez was pitching. Horribly. But go ahead. Isn't it? Isn't Miguel Gonzalez's responsibility to throw the pitches? Yes. And and if Matt Wieters calls a game, doesn't Miguel Gonzalez have the opportunity to then shake him off and throw another pitch? Yes. Uh-huh. So how, again, is this Miguel or, uh, Matt Wieters' fault that they gave up 18 runs? Look, I will come back and I will say that Kilo Joseph, in my opinion, is a better defensive catcher than sure. Matt Wieters is. However, this is a massive however... Big crowbar. The stats that we're seeing with like Matt Wieters is O for whatever, and Steve Clevenger and Caleb Josephs are only had like two or three losses. Great. That is a same thing that we've come across where like last year we're talking about like, oh my God, the Orioles are, you know, only having like a 300 winning percentage during the day. They must be vampires. And then <laughs> if you remember correctly, the ALDS schedule came out and people said, well, crap. We have a bunch of day games for the ALDS. The a, uh, the MLB knew that we were terrible in day games. There's no way we can win these day games. It's a, They're playing against the Orioles, and sure enough, the Orioles went out there and just won in day games. Or, or the Sunday. Or the Sunday thing, yeah, exactly. So, again, it comes back to you see these stats out there where it's like, up, oh, you know, every Tuesdays and Fridays, you've got, you know, terrible... Lux, there's something with those days where the Orioles are just are not going to be able to come out to play. But it's just sequencing. It's just sequencing and it's just random events that are happening. You just roll with it and you're less like, mm, that's interesting. But in reality, it doesn't tell the whole story. There's it's there's a multitude of factors. So we should not panic when we see Matt Wieters behind the plate. If oh, you, you should panic, but that's another. there's a whole other reason <laughs> no, for no, it. No, 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 no. You should panic when you see Matt Wieters on first when a ball hits the gap because you know that Bobby Dickerson is going to send him. Yeah. But yes, the statistics such as that are silly. So, all right. Well, with that, I think it's time we go ahead and close out this show because Let's hit the old dusty trail. I've got some tears, and we don't need to have anything more to talk about. So, uh, Orioles go out to Kansas City this week, oh, and that ought to be fun. And then they go to Texas for a wild card showdown once again. Uh, it's it could be a very ugly week. In fact. It's probably going to be an ugly week, folks. Hey, Orioles, we talk smack about you, so make us look like fools. Go out and sweep the series. Huh. Yeah, okay, whatever. It's going to be an ugly week, folks. Stock up on <laughs> beer, wine, liquor, whatever you may be. The Dark Ages are back, folks. Let's get used to them. <laughs> Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing more to tell you other than to bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Also, I'm sorry we said...
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.